Hello from the California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting 2018 in San Diego, California. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Michael Isiri. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road today here in San Diego. I have a friend joining me, Michael Asseri, and we're going to talk about his presentation that he just gave called Legal Cybersecurity, Best Standards and Practices for Law Firms. But before we do that, Michael, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. What do you do? Yes, I'm a California licensed attorney. I actually am one of the few attorneys who does cybersecurity for fun. And I also do, um, uh, let's see, software engineering. I default for the Android systems and um, or programs, and I actually have some apps out there. Um, one of my favorite apps is one that talks in 37 languages and dynamically completes legal services such as expungements um, for homeless and human trafficking and emergency restraining orders for domestic violence. So wait, uh, you said 37 different languages? Yes. And so that's it's artificial intelligence based? It, one can say that. There's no true artificial intelligence out there. Um, but it's more a means of it looks intelligent enough. It's more of an intelligent automation, which is IA. Well, that's great, Michael. Uh, why don't we uh, transition also into your uh, your presentation titled Legal Cybersecurity Best Standards and Practices for Law Firms. Uh, yes, it's a amazing panel because it was something in which it's relevant for today. And there's a lot of need for understanding the different cybersecurity protocols out there uh, for new attorneys and seasoned attorneys as well. It's just one of those things in which you have the Equifax breach, you have Spectrum meltdown, you have just all these different breaches out there and exploits that is just becoming more and more relevant for new attorneys and just even seasoned attorneys. So it was just a great conversation in which I was able to highlight key important details and exploits. And I believe you had um, one that we were talking in the pregame in terms of something I didn't discuss at the panel that I would like to discuss now. All right, so Michael, why don't we discuss some of the topics you discussed on your panel? We discussed about just uh, exploits in terms of two-factor authentications. About two months ago from this podcast um, recording, it was known that it wasn't reliable anymore. Um, that's how the Reddit hack happened in terms of just you able to spoof phone numbers to do two-authentic uh, two-factor authentic authentication, sorry. And what that means is oftentimes you see a uh, text message when you sign into something saying, is this you? Here's the code for you to verify that this is who you are. Two-factor authentication right there. The thing is you can spoof that phone number. And so I was describing how that is now a reality in terms of it cannot be reliable because an attacker can spoof that phone number and trick the system in terms of giving access to someone else. Another um, discussion we talked about is this password management. So I have a different way of doing password management and it's more about having long complex passwords that are in code-based systems. So rather than having it um, using dictionary terminology in which I think a popular standard was having three or four dictionary words combined uh, putting next to each other. For me, I like to say you can write it out, but write it out in code and then have some entropy into it, such as random digits or whatnot. 
but you can write it out as complex as you want, but it's in code and you can decode it as you go along. The reason for more of a long complicated passwords is because uh, I also highlight the neat problems with cryptocurrencies. I won't go too much into cryptocurrencies, I have that for another time, but ultimately the tools, particularly the hardware, software, and network system being established, that's the same method in which you use for breaking passwords. I mean, that's pretty much what uh, mining for cryptocurrency is about, is breaking passwords or hash algorithms. So it doesn't take a genius to realize you can use the same methodology to break into passwords of people. But there's much more for that for another time. So do you recommend that people use biometric stuff in their passwords? So like if your iPhone's asking for uh, a fingerprint or something like that, you'd recommend doing that? So that's a wonderful question. Um, I have an identical twin brother. And so for the iPhone, it has face scanning right now for the new iPhone 10. I'm able to unlock my brother's phone through my face. You know, so. I never even would have thought of that. So uh, twins can open each other's phones uh, with the facial identification. Twins and um, some, there was some issues in terms of some Asian countries were highlighting the difficulties in which other people can unlock their phones through just facial recognition. Uh, for fingerprints, it seems to be much more of a safer system. Just understand that's something that is part of you and that's not something that you know. So in terms of, say, if you get pulled over or something, just understand that the cop can, I mean, it's jurisdiction by jurisdiction, but it's, it's no longer something in which it's a password in which you can know. They, it's not a fingerprint. So it's something who you are. And so they can have a more means of unlocking the phones. But there's been case precedent in which they're looking at it and that's no longer the case. But that's something in which you have to understand. Let's get into some of these uh, stand, uh, some of these best standards and practices for law firms. I mean, were you making recommendations to law firms to be more safe with their data, more safe with their clients' data as well? Yes, um, we have some ethics portion about it in terms of identifying the different uh, tools and methodologies. Primarily, it's just raising awareness about not only for the attorney themselves, but also for anyone who's serving underneath them that you have to understand that this is client information. And coming back to the main question is, it's just the whole, you have to develop or understand what programs are you using. And oftentimes that's not as simple as people think. They just download new programs or uh, shift to different applications. One of my um, questions I actually raised to the audience is in the past 20 years, do you remember all the different accounts and passwords and email addresses you gave out to all these different organizations and websites? The reason is, what if those past websites become vulnerable? Did you use the same password for other websites? And the hyper I gave is for an attorney who's working in New York. If that attorney then went over to California to practice law, all the accounts for his bar association, the barristers, and all that stuff in New York, it's no longer valid for the attorney, but there's the information out there. So I just wanted to raise awareness about, do you know what your information is? How are you presenting that information or giving it to different programs and whatnot? And in a law firm context, it's just understanding that you have to be very mindful and you have to do so at a reasonable 
person standard in terms of someone who's competent with technology. Okay, so what are some of the the primary vulnerable areas within a law firm that they need to be taking a look at? I will say definitely about what I highlight as the two main rules for cybersecurity. The first rule is physical security, which is one of those interesting uh, conundrums because you think cybersecurity is digital, but no, if I can come in into the law firm and just steal the laptop or phone or device, I succeeded. And so that's something in which a lot of people don't realize is physical security. And you probably see law firms with stacks of papers and files all over. And also not many people are monitoring the stuff or devices, especially if, say, the attorney is traveling and other stuff. Another note is that devices are not encrypted by default. Phones, iPhone, Android phones, uh, you have to look into whether or not you can get it all encrypted, including the SIM card. Same thing with Windows laptops and Mac laptops. They're not encrypted by default. And so keep in mind, even if someone steals it, they still have access or means to get to that data. And then the second rule I highlight is actually humans are the weakest link. And that's where the social engineering attacks and just finding vulnerabilities in humans in terms of getting access to that data. So that's something in which it's also interesting because it's just, yeah, you can trick the human to give the password. And there goes all the need for cybersecurity and physical security if the human willingly gives you the, the credentials to access something. Yeah, I saw a documentary a little while ago. A uh, guy was basically, the message was how easy it is to steal someone's identity or at least get enough information to, to start that process. And one of the things he did uh, is he went into an office and pulled the printer memory. And there is a lot of information on printers that go through. It's kind of scary when you go uh, print stuff at Kinko's and whatnot. Um, you know, when you, when you have to go to like maybe do your tax returns or something like that, probably not the best practice to go print your tax returns and information at Kinko's. But they're able to extract that data and restore it and get a lot of personal information. So if you think about that from a law firm, you think how much, and I know things are changing, it's, it's a little bit more of a paperless environment, but people still print out uh, personalized documents for signature and whatnot, and there's information on there they probably don't want getting out there. And so in terms of law firms, I mean, is that a point of vulnerability that you also see? Or Most definitely. It's just, I guess it's another topic I discuss is all the potential attack factors and exploits. You have to look at how big is the surface of attack? Because all it takes is one little penetration point and you get the entire uh, data. So in terms of the printer security, I remember when I was um, moving up to the Bay Area uh, last year, I actually signed my lease agreement and went to the Kinko's or UPS <laughs> store to print it out. And then one of the first options was, oh, do you want to print out the other person who was just there? Oh my goodness. And I'm sure my contract is there, but it's like, hopefully, knock on wood, nothing bad happens. But it's, yeah, it's one of those things in which out of convenience or uh, necessity, the security just goes outside of the window or is thrown out. Well, let's move forward to some recommendations. So if you're advising a law firm on how to be better protected from a cybersecurity point of view, what are some of the like products and services that you recommend using for a law firm? Mm. Products and services, that's interesting because I really try to advise not to look into one product or service because it's not for advertising purposes. It's just things change over time. How can you know that one service will be there or reliable? 
it's better to understand the underlying principles. Um, I guess if I had to plug in something, LastPass would be one of those programs in which it's a password management system. However, can you guarantee that LastPass will be there in 10 years? You don't know. So that's why it's better to have a better understanding of framework. I guess other products you can probably look into is just not really products, but understanding that you should, when researching new stuff, type in the product's name and say exploits. So it's like this product exploits, this product weaknesses, this product problems. That's sending with hardware, sending with software, sending with most stuff. You just want to make sure you are fully aware of all the possibilities out there. I know it sounds a lot, but it's cybersecurity, it, again, it all comes down to just being able to find one or two exploits and then you pry open the entire system. So, Michael, I understand that you're part of the California Young Lawyers Association and uh, you you uh, joined them just recently. So uh, what's your role uh, within that uh, group? So I won't say recently. It's a three-year commitment and I'm on my um, third year right now. The so, third year? Yes, of the three-year commitment. Uh, my role is actually the chair of advocacy and diversity initiatives. And so, in fact, um, today we discuss more about the different types of uh, outreach we can do. In fact, I have an interesting story. About two or three weeks ago, there was the Orange County attorney who went on a racist tirade against Asians in Orange County. Um, I won't name that attorney, but you can probably Google up OC um, Orange County attorney uh, racist tirade against Asians. One of the things that she was holding up that was in the public images for her Facebook profile was actually a very nice comment on an article, particularly an article written on me. And so it was odd because when I woke up, I woke up around three o'clock in the morning because my cousin, who's not an attorney, messaged me saying, why is your picture associated with her? And I looked it up and it was the article that I wrote and was, not I wrote, but it was published on my programs of my legal AI two years ago. And the reason I bring up is that we were discussing whether or not we should have any involvement with that type. So it's that type of advocacy and diversity initiatives in terms of raising awareness and just seeing if there's ways to help people in the legal profession to make it better, to make it more inclusive. Gotcha. And so uh, just in terms of your role, I mean, I know uh, you're a pretty proactive guy. And so what kind of programs are you uh, envisioning coming out during your tenure? I guess I envision more about different outreach out there. Um, particularly, I'm very invested in terms of the disability community uh, based on a personal background. And it's just something in which I feel needs a lot more awareness in terms of attorneys with disabilities because the stats are shockingly low about... Um, I believe associates in law firms, according to NLP, is about 0.39% of the attorneys have, uh, associates have disabilities. And then only 0.3% of partners at law firms have disabilities. So I'm hoping to raise that type of initiatives with the CYLA and as a tenor as things go on. Because for disabilities and attorneys, that's key and vital. Well, excellent. So, Michael, I'll just have one more uh, question for you. You know, if our listeners, they want to reach out, learn a bit uh, more about what you do, how can they find you? 
Definitely. Um, the, you can visit it on my website at lawpp.org. Again, that's lawpp.org. And you can, um, I have a contact page there that you can look it up. Things are changing, so I can't say any right now. But you can also check me out on my LinkedIn profile, which is Mike Isiri. And then Isiri as an I-S-E-R-I. I also have a Twitter account, which is Mike underscore A underscore I. So it's like Mike AI. But it's also my name, Michael Andrew Isiri. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guest, Michael, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It was a wonderful being here, so thank you. Excellent. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find us, then rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.